Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Spotlight Conversations. I'm your host, Clayton Big Trigger Corley, and it's indeed an honor and a pleasure to speak with today's guest. She's often called the first lady of rap. She's an educator, journalist, composer, producer, playwright, singer, poet, and the list goes on and on. I'll probably run out of program before I could run out of the list that this young lady is responsible for. Um, I'm just so excited to have with me the incredible Dee Dee McNeil. Welcome to Spotlight Conversations. Thank you so much, Clayton. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful, and I, I couldn't wait to uh, till this day to get a chance to speak to the legend. I'm just going to call you that, and, and you can be modest uh-huh. if you want, but I think you're a legendary figure um, in the art forms that I love so much, jazz and poetry. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, when we're doing it, we're just following our passion. We're not thinking about becoming a legend or famous or any of that, so... If you stay in whatever you do long enough, you're bound to be a legend in that particular field. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. I agree 100%. So, um, you know, just, just give us a little background of where you're, where you're from originally and how you got, uh, well, name some of your early poetic and musical um, influences. Well, I loved Maya Angelou. Um, I loved Nikki Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez. We came up around the same time. I'm born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and even as a little girl, wrote poetry and songs as a hobby. Um, my aunt, who I'm named after, encouraged me. She was an educator in the public school system, encouraged me to be a journalist and a writer because they saw that early on. But my passion was piano and writing little songs. And I ended up being a songwriter for Motown. But before that, there was a famous, there is still a famous press called Broadside Press. And I was published in Broadside Press uh, in its beginning days. And I think in the first book they ever put out with a poem called The Doorway That We Hide Behind. And that came out later, too, in a book called A Rock Against the Wind. It was uh, African-American poems and letters of love and passion. And it was edited by the late Lindsay Patterson. Mm. Yeah, so I came up with poetry and music as uh, my passion from a, a child onward. How was that, that Detroit scene in, in Motown? How did you... Uh... You know, just how was that experience, just working with so many other legends? It was exciting. You know, none of us knew we were going to be legends or legendary. We we didn't know. We all were passionate about writing. Um, I got into Motown uh, in an unusual way. I had met a songwriter named Morris Broadnax. He was a mentor for Stevie Wonder at that time, along with a producer named Clarence Paul. Um, Rest in peace to both of them. And um, my friend, Vicki Basemore, was writing a song called, uh, I think it was called With a Child's Heart, that Stevie ended up recording. And she said, uh, she was working with Clarence Paul and Morris Broadnax. She said, Dee Dee, you got to come down to Motown and meet these guys. They're so talented. 
and you write music. I want them to meet you. So I went down and met them. And Morris ended up coming over to the house to hear my songs. And he said, oh, you write so well. You should go audition to be at Motown. Well, the funny thing was, uh, I had just had a local hit record on a group called The Precisions. I was writing independently, and um, I wrote four songs for a producer named um, Mike Terry was the arranger on that session, and George McGregor was the producer. They brought me four tracks, and they needed melody and lyrics, and they needed them overnight. And I was so excited to have an opportunity to get my music recorded that I wrote these four songs overnight. Well, one of them was called Why Girl on a group called The Precisions. They were very much like The Temptations. Mm -hmm. And that went on to become a top 40 hit uh, in the in the Midwest and in fact was recently re-released in the UK on an entire album I think it was two years ago so you never know when you write something but uh, Motown was saying who is the person that wrote Why Girl on the Precisions that sounds so much like a hit it could have been a hit on The Temptations that kind of opened the door for me to go in and audition for Robert Gordy that's Barry's brother and he mm. was the president of Joe Bat Music that's how I got into Motown, by going and playing piano and singing my songs. That was kind of unusual because usually you have to go through A&R in mm -hmm. a record company. But I went direct through the publishing company and they signed me as a contract writer. So I was lucky. You know, a lot of people uh, ended up recording the music that I wrote. Gladys Knight and the Pips, The Four Tops, Edwin Starr, David Ruffin. Ah... Uh, Kiki D was on the label back then. Yeah. Wow, that's that. That does sound so exciting. Because uh, Motown is, I mean, it's so many people their their lives. You know, they grew up with Motown, and it was a part of their life. Absolutely. You know, because for example, for example, I know my daughter. She's thirty three now, and you know, I've always been a fan of the oldies and Motown and. When she was little, we used to sing Temptation songs together in the car <laughs> while I was giving her a bath, when I was laying her down for a nap, when I was feeding her, we were singing. And she got married two years ago, and we danced to My Girl. And oh, it was so, so funny because we did we did steps and everything just like the Temptations. You know, <laughs> oh, man. She remembered all of that stuff and she said, "Dad, we got to do something like this." And I said, "Well, come on with it, you know." <laughs> but um, so just to just to think that you were a part of us coming up as well, because I'm quite sure of some of the songs that you've written and you have a I have the list in front of me, um, but it's just so many. So numerous uh, a list that some of them undoubtedly were songs that we grew up with. Yeah, I, I like to say my days at Motown were mostly licorice pizza. You know mm -hmm. those great big albums that <laughs> before oh, CDs yeah. with oh, the yeah. yeah thirty three and a third. Oh, but yeah. um, but my songs continue to sell uh, all these years later. I still get royalties for. Diana Ross and the Supremes song uh, Discover Me and You'll Discover Love and mm -hmm. What is a Man by the Four Tops and Edwin Starr Music I, I still get so those are still selling they became part of their greatest hit albums so mm -hmm. 
What a blessing. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Yes, uh, indeed. Uh. And, you know, like you said, you know, how many how many people have, you know, been out there trying to get their stuff published and, and you know, recognized and you were blessed to get it, you know, to get right on in from the from the inside out. You know what I mean? And that, yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, people need people. And oh, we have yeah. to help each other. Right. Whatever business we're in, you know, mm. it, it, you can't do it by yourself. You have to yeah. depend on other people. So I like to, you know, remind people of that and try to help others. Because people mm. helped me, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and the, the, the field that I'm in, because I've worked my day, my day gig is a um, healthcare professional. I work in a respiratory. And... Oh. You know, helping people, that's, I mean, if you, if you look at it, it depends on what you believe in. That's why we're here on earth is to help people, help one another. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's why we're here. So, um, the sooner people realize that, then the better off I'm sure everyone will be. Absolutely. I you agree. Know? Yeah. Uh, so when did you, uh, when did you migrate out to the West and, 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 uh, um, settle out there because that's where you that's where you currently live at, right? Right, I live in California, Southern mm-hmm. California. I came out here. I drove cross country. When I'm working, I always tell this story, and it's a true one. On stage before I go into Route 66, mm-hmm. <laughs> I drove that route. I had a little raggedy Chevrolet, and I put my two babies in the back seat of the car, and all my writings and my music because those were the two things most important to me other than my children Mm -hmm. and we drove cross country i didn't have a clue about crossing the desert and my car didn't have air conditioning i had to pull over got to be 115 degrees it was june 1970 and i had to buy towels to hold the steering wheel it was really an experience driving through mountains. <laughs> the only place I had been from Detroit was across the through the tunnel to Canada. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I came out to California. I got here June 26th because it was my oldest son's birthday. And rented a house in Hollywood to be close to Motown because they had moved out here on Sunset Boulevard. Right. I got a house not too far from that. And then I drove straight to Watts. Because I heard everything was happening in Watts, in Detroit. You know, they had a special on the Watts Writers Workshop. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't wait to get there because I'm a writer. And uh, I went there and I enrolled in a poetry class. And you had to read your work. And there was, you know, maybe 15 or 20 people in that class. And Anthony Hamilton, who later became Father Amdi, was the... uh, professor of that class, the poet head, and everybody got up and read their poetry. Well, in Detroit, I had divorced, and I had those children to raise as a single parent. There was one club in Detroit where you could go and rap, and you could win $50 or a turkey, Mm. and I needed both, so I would go down there maybe every other week and wait until it was all men rapping. We called it rapping back then, Mm. not rap, but rapping. And I would wait and sign up at the very end, and they'd all say, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to be rapping. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) And Uh I would win every time (laughs) because the audience (laughs) voted. (laughs) So I had all my stuff memorized, and everyone was reading their poetry. 
so I got up and um, did a couple of pieces. And after the class, Anthony approached me and said, you know, we've got a group. Would you like to join it? It's called the Watts Prophets, and we need a girl. And that's how I got with the Watts Prophets. Mm. Yeah, and history was made after that, huh? Yeah, you know. Really before and after, yeah. Well, you know, they the, the Watch Prophets, including yourself, did a lot of uh a lot of conscious uh, you know, uh poetry and a lot of, you know, um poetry that dealt with what was going on in the communities. Um did you ever realize that you would be such an um an activist? I have always been an activist. My dad was an activist um, and a thinker, and we talked always about politics and our blackness and our pride and our blackness. So um, I was really into the black power movement at that time. I was a follower of uh, Malcolm X, and yeah, I was an activist when I came out. I was particularly interested in women's rights. Mm. And I think that was a little before my time, you know. But um, I think that's reflected in that poem that I do on the Watts Prophets album about the prostitute. Oh, yeah. You know, I was interested in uh, lifting the consciousness of my people. So I fit right in the poetry that I was doing. I think that might have been part of the reason Anthony asked me to join the group. Yeah, because, um, you know, when I was speaking to Otis, he spoke, you know, he spoke very highly of you. As a matter of fact, he made a, made a suggestion. You need to try to get catch up with Dee Dee and see if she could be on your show. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to make it happen, you know. <laughs> um, but that that compare that time, that period of time with, with, you know, the Black Power Movement and the struggles that were going on then, compare it to what we're going through today. Um, you know, I talk about this a lot with my peers because we fought so hard in the 60s and the 70s for uh, the elevation of our culture, for the beauty of knowing who we were and being proud of who we were, for women's rights. And a lot of what is publicized because there are some pretty good rappers out there that never get on the radio. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what is publicized, which is not controlled by us culturally, is negative to our culture, to our blackness, to the African-American community in general, and especially to women. Yes, yes. So it's upsetting to me. It sets us back when we don't recognize that women, Our wombs bring forth nations. We are mothers. We are nurturers. We are queens of our families. And for men to degrade us, these young men that degrade us on record with raps that disrespect our name, that's why I wrote that poem on my new CD, Don't Disrespect My Name. I am woman. Don't disrespect my name. You know, you can't call your, you don't call your mother or your child, your daughter, your auntie, your cousin, your grandmother, your great-grandmother a hoe or a bitch. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't come up like that. And uh, right. it's unfortunate that the airwaves publicize 
that negative stigma because that's what our young children hear. And then they think it's okay to be called that. And then they begin to act in that way. You know, that's my concern. Our young women, we have to take back our pride and our glory in ourselves as mothers of a nation in the universe. Yeah, and they and they wonder why, and they, you know, they ask valid questions, and I'm tired of people saying, um, you know, talking about the N-word, you know. Um, now, we don't want the white folks to call us the N-word, but we'll call each other that in a heartbeat. And then I think they people look, don't they don't realize the power of words. Yeah, yeah. You know, the power of words. What we say is so important, especially what we say to ourselves, whether it's verbal or in our minds. If you're constantly saying, I can't, oh, I'll try, but I can't do that, or, oh, I won't make it doing that, or they don't like me, or, I'm not smart enough. You know, all that N apostrophe T words. We got to get right. rid of that. Right. You know. Yeah, you're setting yourself up for failure right before you even get it, get an opportunity to try. Sure, and we're all guilty of that at one time right. or another. We all feel maybe a little insecure in certain situations, but words are powerful, the ones we yeah. think and the ones we say. So, I, you know, I don't know why... We are not elevating more. We have to elevate a little bit more. Yeah, Thank goodness for people like you who have shows where we can really talk openly and freely about this and where mm -hmm. our music can be played and our poetry can be exposed because you won't hear it on regular public radio. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was, it's funny you was you would say that because I've, you know, people have told me that before and Number one, it's just a, a passion when you were talking about albums uh, a few minutes ago. I got mm -hmm. stacks and stacks of albums. I refuse to get rid of them. Right? They're coming back. They're coming back, <laughs> believe it or yeah. not. In the music industry, they're coming right. back to vinyl. <laughs> right, right. Vinyl is, and, and in actuality, it's nothing like the sound of that little bit of popping in the background. It's nothing, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's nothing like that. But, um,. You know, in, in talking about, it, it's a passion of mine. And I was raised around, you know, jazz and poetry. My mother, you know, used to write poetry and she's, you know, was an avid reader. And my dad, you know, was a a huge jazz collector. Plus they, they ran, a, between the two of them, they ran a speakeasy. So, you know, I got a chance to be around that music and all that kind of stuff all the time. So repetition. Mm -hmm. You know, at first is what got me. And then reading those album covers. Now, I'm not going to sit back and read the small print on the CD cover as much as I would on an album cover. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so that's where I learned a lot of that. But I always felt, as far as artists goes and, and their artistry, that they belong to be put up on a pedestal. Because it takes a lot to get in front of a crowd or a group of people and share yourself that's true um, it's, it takes the energy of an athlete because when you right. come off stage you have that same pumped up feeling as if you just ran track or or ran a touchdown or or dunked a basketball it's that same adrenaline that pumps you up to go up on stage yeah mm -hmm. and you know some of the 
we have the, of course, you have your household name artists, but you also have some artists that are not household names, a lot of independent artists that have a wonderful voice and are speaking, you know, some serious volumes, uh, and they're not being heard. So that's why I like to, um, you know, feature them on the, on the program, you know. Well, we appreciate that. And, you know, getting back to our parents and, and the days when we were coming up, almost every African-American family had a piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know my parents were playing jazz all the time, so we heard it. But in our culture today, these young people who are parents, their children a lot of times having children, they're 14, right. 15, 16 years old. They're not listening. They never heard jazz. When I do shows sometimes for schools and introduce them to jazz musicians, and they look up there and say, oh, what's that giant violin? What is that? It's an upright bass. (laughs) They've never even seen things like that a lot of times. They haven't heard jazz like we heard it in our homes. Mm. They don't play. The young people today, what they think is jazz is glorified R&B. Right. And they call it smooth jazz. Right. Yeah, so, you know, it's important to have programs like yours that actually play J-A-Z-Z. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and the other thing, and that brings me to something I was going to ask you about, um, you know, why, why do you feel that it's important for the history of both jazz and poetry to, you know, why is it so important to our culture? And and what what do you think we need to do in order to make sure that it stays in the forefront of our consciousness? Well, any type of writing, poetry or otherwise, is a way of expressing ourselves and our times that we're living in. So in a way, we're chronicling history when we write things down, because everything must change, as Bernard Eigner said. You know, it's it's ever-changing. There's nothing wrong with change. In terms of jazz, we can't forget that jazz was created by African Americans. Mm-hmm. It is the only indigenous art form of America, the only one. It uh, was granted that title in the Congress of the United States of America. So this is our heritage This was born of slave songs, work songs, European classical music, and our ability to change things, see, which is called improvisation. Mm. So what we had to do, we had to improvise when we were stolen from Africa to survive on the cotton fields of America. We had to improvise to stay alive. And we've continued to do it. It's in our DNA. So jazz is a music of freedom. We created jazz at first to talk to each other because we weren't allowed to speak our original language. So we're in the fields, we can't talk to each other, we get whipped. So we start singing because music is inherent in us. Rhythm is inherent in us. We brought that with us. They wanted us to sing spirituals. So we took those spirituals and turned them around to talk to each other like that Wade in the Water song. Oh, yeah. We used that to escape. When you heard Wade in the water, you knew some slaves were going to try to run in the water where the dogs couldn't smell them and get away. 
So we took those work songs, those slave songs, the European classical music, and then we improvised and made it our own by putting another melody on top of those chord changes. That's what jazz is. Mm -hmm. It allows you freedom. That's what we've always wanted. All people want it. We all want to be free. We want to feel free. We especially wanted to be free in our condition. So that's how the music has evolved. Each generation has had a different kind of freedom. Thus hip-hop evolved, see? And slang. And as soon as folks learned our slang, we changed it. So that's why, you know, as soon as Webster put it in his dictionaries, we said, oh, you know what that means? Let me create something else. We are ever changing and creating new forms. That's what jazz does. It's forever evolving and changing. We can take the structure of any song and create something on top of it and make it different. So, yeah, it's it's important that we keep it because it's our heritage and it comes from us. It's our contribution, one of our contributions to American society. Mm-hmm. And, and I often tell, you know, when I speak to a lot of young people, um, you know about this uh, this jazz and poetry and stuff, and I said to be able to to be in Africa to watch your family, children, daughters, you know, wives, husbands being slaughtered, to be chained up, shackled up, put on a boat, traveling however many miles to who knows where. And to still have the mindset to be creative, that that took a lot. I mean, that's just that's just a miracle. Absolutely. You know, to and still it, be it's, creative. It's every and it's every oppressed people. It's mm-hmm. it's every oppressed people. Oh yeah. Some of the best jazz players I've heard have been Russians who mm-hmm. were incredibly oppressed and oh, yeah. fled Russia, and they can yeah. play that music. Oh yeah, you know. So every oppressed people, we everybody wants to be free, and jazz uh, dance is the music of freedom. Yeah, I often yeah, another thing I often tell people is, you know, you were talking about improvisation, and um, you know the similarities between you know hip hop and and rap today, as compared to back in the day, and you know how they have those. Um, what do they call it? they they battle back and forth they have mm-hmm. those battling Jam- sessions. poetry jams and slams. yeah yeah and mm-hmm. i say well that's nothing but dizzy gillespie and charlie parker going back and forth with each other right and they say and they say oh man you know once i you know let them listen to it and then right. i said yeah and you like the um you know the beatbox human beatbox dougie fresh and and what mm-hmm. have you mm-hmm. i said listen to listen to louis armstrong do heebie-jeebies Right, Eddie Jefferson. <laughs> Eddie Jefferson, that's correct. You know, right. and and they say, "Oh man," you know. So I say, "Yeah." So and it, it opens their eyes. But like you said, if they're not told about it, if they're not taught, you know, then they have no idea. Right. Because how many times did did your parents, you know, or or uncles or aunts or big brothers, sisters, whatever the case may be, take you along with them when you were younger to like a festival or um, in the park to listen to some music and stuff like that. Right. We don't do that anymore. Right. You know, now they used to always like, take me. Yeah, it's, it's changed. Well, they, they're listening to 
Beyonce and Jay Z and that kind of thing. You know, so yeah, they are going. Uh, <laughs> it's those people we have to reach out to. The right. other generation, the older generation, has to reach back, and maybe we've been lax there.、Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we、mm-hmm. should have reached out to them a long time ago and said, "Hey, let's get together and go into these schools and re-educate." Right. With edutainment, let's put education and entertainment together. Edutainment. You know, that's one of my favorite lines. You know that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, look. I'm. A, I don't have it with me, but I often refer to it as, as edutainment. You see. <laughs> that is that is unbelievable. Yeah, this was this was supposed to happen. Definitely, <laughs> this was definitely supposed to happen. Listen, so when you're performing, because like you said, it's, it's so much energy, and I I saw it, and I heard it, and I felt it myself,、um, and that was just that wasn't even live in person. That was just on film and just listening to your music,、um, you know, on your、uh, on your CDs. But when you're performing. What do you hope that you know the the audience takes away from your performance? And then on the other hand, what do you try to grab from them in your performance? Well, I did not start out to be a performer. Let me say that I am a songwriter and poet and, and a journalist.、Um, for that was God's will. That wasn't something I was seeking. I ended up coming out here and then getting with the Watts Prophets, and we got a record deal. That's what began my performance in front of people, because I was very happy just writing my poetry and songs in the background. But I always have felt that music is healing, and that when we go on stage, me specifically, I can only speak for myself. I've always felt that there is a healing that happens, and the reason I started noticing that is that people would come up to me after my show. The first thing they want to do is hug you, and then they say, "My husband and I were fighting all the way here, Dee Dee, and I was mad. I was about to tell him to turn around, and now we feel so much better. Thank you so much." And <laughs> and I started hearing that over and over again. So I said, "There's something healing." In music, that makes people feel better. It helps them to relax. They've proven it now.、Mm-hmm. Science has proven that certain music that they play in doctors' offices and dentists' offices calm people down. There are certain notes that seem to heal certain organs and that kind of thing. So, for me, performing is two things: is healing and educating. So when I record. I always want to deal with some of our history, which on my new CD, Storyteller, I I have that song dedicated to Ernie Andrews, one of our great legendary vocalists, and、uh, Harold McKinney, who's a pianist and an educator out of Detroit, Michigan, and his lineage goes all the way back to the McKinney Cotton Pickers.、Mm. But you know, it's in a small way I'm putting out some history.、Um, I'm. Keeping the essence of jazz alive because I love to swing, and always loved jazz. I I didn't realize I was a jazz artist for a long time, and so I've really tried to be the best I can be in that era. And I think to be a really great jazz artist, you have to know how to swing.、Oh, you、yeah. can't just sing the song. There's a whole bunch of people just singing the song, 
over the top of musicians who are swinging. But when you can right. swing with the musicians, it's nothing greater. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? And I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Definitely. Definitely. I, um, I was, I had a conversation with Mulgrew Miller. May he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, a great pianist. And, great. Yeah. um, you know, we were talking and he said, uh, he said, if you know, if, if you're listening to jazz and you're not tapping your foot and bobbing your head up and down and snapping your fingers, I don't know what you're listening to, but it's not jazz. I agree. You know, um, I agree. I just yeah. interviewed Billy Mitchell, the pianist, the jazz pianist, yeah. and he was saying the same thing. He said, music is supposed to be fun. Jazz is supposed to be fun. And if you're not having fun on the bandstand, you're not playing jazz. Yeah, because yeah, uh, a lot of people I talk to, and it's, I'm going back to the young folks because, like you said, we had to teach them. Um, and some of the, and some of them are more established citizens as well. But they, maybe they have forgotten a lot of it. But jazz was was dance music. Yes, originally. That's what it was. It's really mm-hmm. the Lindy Hop and and the big bands and and you know uh, Count Basie and and what's the, uh, the 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 drummer's name the um, that they used to battle up at the uh, the what was it the Rose uh, the Rosemont um, I can't think of the drummer. Art Blakey. No, not Art Blakey. He was a he was a big band leader, and he was short. He was real short. Oh, and he had um, a, Buddy Rich. No, no, he was black. Um, I can't think of his name. But they used to he used to always they used to come uptown, you know, and and have battles of the bands and whatnot all mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. I cannot think of his name hmm. right now. He was a he was um he wasn't a dwarf, but he had some kind of um. Uh, disease. I can't think of what it, he had like a spinal type of disease. I can't oh. think of his name. Yeah, right I'd off be interested I, in knowing I, who that is. Yeah, I, I'll uh, I'll think of it. In, oh, Chick Webb. Chick oh, Webb. Oh, Chick Webb. That's way back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean that was, that was the ultimate. Day. Yeah, but that was and, that was the ultimate dance music. That's right. They used to jitterbug to that band. <laughs> oh yeah, jitterbug and and do the Lindsay Lindy Hop and all yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So wow. you know, this definitely is swinging music, and mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's a lot of younger players um, that are coming up. So oh, I guess we're going to get saved. Yeah, yeah. And I know you have your share of them out on the out on the West Coast, um, but I want to get back to Ernie Andrews. Um, mm-hmm. He is like a he's a treasure. He's, he's a, a he treasure. Is, he's yeah, our he is, national treasure. Yeah. He's a national treasure, and and you've you've met him, and you've uh, ever gotten on the same stage with him at all? Oh yes, yes. We we did a show together, and uh, we have pictures and video. And I've been an admirer of Ernie's for many years. He was very supportive in my younger career of me as a jazz singer, and gave me. A lot of um, encouragement and tips. I talked to him. I talked to him yesterday. In fact, um, he's um, still performing, and he sounds great. He just mm. uh, was up for a Grammy on the John Clayton album, along with Barbara Morrison, John Clayton's orchestra. Mm. Uh, they didn't didn't get the Grammy, but they were up for it. They were in the running, and that album is fabulous. It was recorded out here live. 
So he's still working around. Yeah, and uh, when I wrote this song about him, I called him up and asked him if I could come over and play it and sing it. I said, I've written a song about you. I want your permission because I want to go in the studio and cut it. Because I never would think of cutting something about somebody without their permission. Right, right. And so he said, come on. I know he was wondering, what? (laughs) (laughs) So I went over and played it and sang it and... uh, and he and his lady listened, and they were like, oh, Dee Dee, we love that. Yeah, cut it. So I did. And it's called Storyteller. Speaking of Storyteller, you have the, um, I noticed the artwork on this, um, on the cover. Um, explain that, because it's, it's real unique uh, um, CD cover. Thank you. That was done by a sister from Detroit who lives out here named Afrashi. Asunji, and uh, you can go. They, the audience can go online and actually pull up her artwork. She is amazing. Mm. I found her um, online, and I was looking for a specific thing for my CD cover. Mm. I had looked at several artists. I wanted a black artist to do the CD cover, right. and I had talked to Rosalie Hooks at the Watts. Towers out here who deals with a lot of artists. She gave me several names, and the first one that I looked at was Afrashia Sunji. Mm-hmm. And this was, um, she calls this a goddess in her own being. And it was a tribute uh, series that she did. This is just one of several different uh, pieces of art she did to celebrate Catherine Dunham's life. Mm. Uh, the the dancer. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, let's see, she she was Catherine Dunham. You know, was an anthropologist and a choreographer. Right. And she was very involved with the Haitian religion. So, uh, Afrasia Sunji told me that she represented is represented by the snake, which is also the symbol for Dambala, the Haitian god goddess. Okay. And um, the unicorn is in the other hand. That's the symbol of the mysterious positive life forces and the ultimate powers of the universe. That's what she told me. Mm. And then the other symbols, I think, the armbands, the golden armbands, give her the blessings of Oshun, which is the goddess of the river or water. Mm. And then there's a naval guard, and that's the symbol of Isis, or the moon goddess. And so everything on there has a specific meaning. But yeah, she painted, yeah. yeah, she painted that a long time ago, and I just fell in love with that painting. So I called her up, and uh, I got her number off of the website, and she answered. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, uh, you know, Afrasia Sunji, I'm an artist. I'm a singer and a poet and a writer, songwriter, and I want to use your work for my CD cover. My name is Dee Dee McNeil. She says, I know you, Dee Dee. I've been to your shows. I said, what? Oh, nice. Nice. So that was meant to be. And, oh, yeah. And we worked it out. So she is uh, one of my sheroes. She's a fabulous artist. 
Yeah, I'm going to go and um, and check out some of her uh, some of her work and, and yeah, see, check her out. You know, her maybe I could. Uh, yeah, maybe I could get a piece because I I really like that that CD cover. It, it was unique, and I'm glad you um, you explained it to me. Um, it, you know, you had it written down for me too, but I mean, just to hear the the energy again. You know, yeah. coming from you describing it is a is a whole lot different than just reading about it. You know, mm-hmm. I think this artwork has been used in different uh, by different people. They license it to use it because it it's just eye catching. Yeah, it, you know, it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff that um, you remember Mandrill. Oh, I know them, the Wilson yeah. brothers. Oh, okay, okay, I know yeah. Lou, yeah, we lost Lou last year. Yeah, like Carlos, Lou, all of them. Yeah, we all. Yeah, well, some of the the artwork it kind of put me in that, you know, in mind of uh, some of that Mandrill artwork. Yeah, their, uh, they had album great covers. album covers, didn't they? Had that mm-hmm. Mandrill sure monkey did. on the face of their albums. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, what do you have coming up? Uh, in Cali or elsewhere, as far as any tours or any uh, any uh, gigs you have coming up. Well, my energy right now has been on trying to get promotion of the CD on the airwaves. Right. Because the more people hear it, then you have a better chance of going on tour. Oh yeah. Otherwise, oh, okay. who is Dee Dee McNeil? Who's that? Right. <laughs> right. So well, I just did a, a CD release party that was very successful um, mm-hmm. at a African American owned club in Beverly Hills called Home, which stands for House of Music and Entertainment. Mm. So that was wonderful, and uh, trying to set up some college things where I can go in and talk about my life and do poetry and music. Nice, nice, and. Um, you have a website where people can uh, buy your CD? or mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, the website is www.deedemac.co, C-O, www.deedemac.co. That's my okay. website. Mm-hmm. And All I'm right. also on CD Baby. On CD Baby as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I'll make sure that uh, I'm going to put a a link to those two areas and your uh, you know everything up on the um, the SOJP website so that people can click it and go right to your website too. That's great. Thank you so much. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. You're welcome. Um, so, in um, what kind of advice would you offer to you know any Young performers in in general, but jazz musicians and and singers in particular about um, you know about their careers and going forward. Well, like I say on stage when I'm working, I've got this song called "Reaching," reaching for the top, and I say you're never too young or too old to chase your dreams, and I'm the prime example of that. I've been chasing my passion and my dreams my whole life. The artist life is not always an easy life. You're not guaranteed a paycheck every week, a specific amount of money. So you have to have a great passion for what you do. 
and you have to believe in yourself and just keep working at it. That's all I can say. I've been working at it all these years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now you, you, you're writing. Do you have any any uh, publications or, or any essays or anything that we can also uh, get a hold yeah, of? Yeah, absolutely. I would love for you all to look at my column. I've been a columnist for LAJazz.com for five years now. So if you go to www.lajazz.com and you'll see blogs and you'll see my name and you can click on there and see various things that I write about the music. I do a lot of really interesting interviews with some phenomenal jazz artists and I review CDs and sometimes I review shows. That's one of the writings. I have a book called Haiku in My Neighborhood. Haiku is a Japanese poetry that's based on three lines. I actually created a class and went into the community and worked with young people from 5 to 12 years old in an after-school program to teach them haiku. Uh, And it's uh, 575 syllables, so you have five syllables on the top seven syllables on the second line, and five syllables on the bottom line of haiku. Mm. So it's just three lines of poetry. And this book came out with a uh, photographer, African-American photographer named Roland Charles. Um, I'll give you an example. Celery stalk children with chocolate pudding faces share basketball lunch. And then there's a picture of this real tall, skinny brother sitting on a cardboard box with his gym shoes on. Um, So that was published uh, recently in the last uh, four years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a... Haiku um, in my neighborhood. Yeah, it's going to be a a lot of stuff that people are going to have to, uh, or going to be able to read about you and... uh, purchase from you too because I definitely want to get a, a copy of that book so I'll be going on and we can get that off of your website um, you can contact me on my website and yes it, it actually is published by a guy in Santa Monica mm-hmm. uh, it's called you can email him to purchase it because he's the publisher of it do you want that email you know what? Yeah, you can you can give that to me, but I'm going to get with you because I want mine signed. Okay. Yeah, I, want, I don't care. I don't know about everybody else, but I want mine signed. You know, by the writer. You know what I mean? So I, I'll send you money. I don't care what I need to do you in got order to it. get this book. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, you you can please uh you know give me that the uh, website for the publisher too, the email. Okay, on. it's Hanks H A N K S Gallery. And he's located at 3008 Main Street in Santa Monica, California, 90405. And his email is ehanks, like E-H-A-N-K-S, at M, as in Mama, hanksgallery.com. But he published it for us, and uh, and it, it's done well. I think you're going to love it. It is a, a different way of looking at haiku, which is a Japanese form of poetry. Oh, yeah. It's all from oh. an ethnic perspective. Right. 
Well, all right. This was uh, this was fantastic. I, I'm I'm just so honored, and and I feel really blessed that you had the uh, the time to take out from your busy schedule to uh, to talk with me here on Spotlight Conversations. And um, like I said, you know, listening to your your artistry and and your storyteller CD, which is again fantastic. Everybody, if you if you want to swing. And you want to hear some serious, serious jazz? Then you need to get Storyteller from Dee Dee McNeil. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank um, you, Clayton. I yeah, am so it, it really is. <laughs> it, you know, it it really is. And and you know, I'm I'm a Pisces. I guess sometimes I'm brutally honest, and and it's amazing. It's just a wonderful. Uh, it's just a wonderful experience. It's not even. It's not even. A CD is just an experience to listen to it. And, uh, Thank you so much. Uh, you know, it's funny you would say that because when I do shows, people say that. They say it's a total experience because I do music, and it's original music on mm-hmm. that CD. Eight of the ten songs are all originals that I, oh, yeah. I wrote or co-wrote. But they say by me incorporating poetry and then I tell stories in between on my shows, and music that they come away and say that very thing that you said. So mm-hmm. it's working. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And, and I hope I, I hope I get back there to meet you in person and uh, and to do some concert work. Yeah, that would be great because um, I, I know I um, have right now. It's just an annual event, and one is coming up in May of uh, 2015. It's coming up in you know a little over. Uh, two months or a little under two months um, but I do a live event every year and it's going to be I'm going to start doing two mm-hmm. one in the spring and one in the fall but you know it all depends on sponsorship and funding and all that kind yeah. of stuff so yeah. you know that's the that's the hard work but oh yeah I would love to get you find out how we can get you out here so you can uh you know, swing these people down. You know, <laughs> we'd love to do it. Yeah, I love, yeah. Love the and East Coast. Like I said, I I saw the video on um on YouTube and uh of that performance you did at Long Beach, mm-hmm. um or in Long Beach rather, and it was just it was fantastic. And the, and the the group you were performing with, they were getting it in. I mean, oh. it was. Aren't they fabulous? I'm so lucky to work with some of the top musicians in the country, not just in L.A. Yeah, mm-hmm. really blessed. Yeah, and and uh, <clears throat> you were you worked with uh, Al Tootie Heath. Yeah. On drums, and that's the oh, he's just oh, man. he's the ultimate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He, you know, my Gemini just, buddy. Yeah. Oh yeah. We go it's way back. I've worked with some great cats. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Uh, any more CDs on the horizon? You working on anything? Um, just getting this one up and running, but I have lots more material, so I'm oh, yeah. eager to get back in the studio and do it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I sure hope so, because I'm hooked now. I'm a D.D. McNeil fan, <laughs> for real. I mean, I you know, I liked your, your, the poetry that you did with the Watch Prophets, but now, like you said, you got into the whole jazz side of things, and I'm like, whoa. You know, I'm like, wow, this was Thanks deep so down much. inside. You just got it, it just pulled out somehow. It just escaped. And yeah. I'm so glad that it did. And I know my listeners will be, too. Cause, uh, Thanks, Clayton. Yeah, yeah, this was fantastic. So um, 
Again, thank you so very, very much for taking time out from your schedule to um, to be with me here and have this My wonderful pleasure. conversation. This is going to be first of many. This one was recorded, but I'm quite sure, and I would like to, uh, you know, keep the lines of communication open between uh, the two of us. Absolutely. Uh, Let's do that. And I wish you continued success in all of your endeavors. Thank you so much, and peace and blessings to you and your family and your audience. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for that. And, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here at Spotlight Conversations. I hope you had just as much fun as I did with the fantastic Dee Dee McNeil. She has a brand-new CD out called Storyteller, which is unbelievable. If you want to swing, then I recommend that you get this CD. Just run out to CD Baby and get it or... um Go to Dee Dee McNeil's website, which is www.ddmac.co. Don't get it confused with .com. It's .co. And get this fabulous uh, CD. And also, she has a book out called Haiku in My Neighborhood. And uh, that's a guaranteed dynamic read as well. So, again, Dee Dee, thank you so very much and, and have a wonderful day. You too. Talk to you soon. Thank you.